Many individuals try to find success on a daily basis. But what defines this success? Where does it come from? When you find a passion in your life and pursue this passion, everything can come together to form success. This is Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. Our guests will motivate you to take the next step to your success. Now, here's your host, David Wallach. Good morning, y'all. Welcome to our weekly episode of Taking Care of Business. After hosting a politician seeking to be re-elected on our last week's uh, show, we're back into the world of business, entrepreneurship and ownership. I first get to know, I got to know my guest's father about 15 years ago. I met Ross Glenn, a true Calgarian, Albertan, and a founder and owner of RGO Products. I got to know his daughter, Kathy, only two years ago, uh, as we both uh, are part of the McKay CEO forums. We immediately clicked, and I'm glad to have as my guest this morning, Kathy Orr, President and CEO RGO Products. Good morning, Kathy. Oh, good morning, David. It's great to be here. Uh, welcome to Taking Care of Business, and thank you for being my guest this wonderful morning. Um, you know, when I read your bio, I was really surprised about one thing. I had many uh, guests that I interviewed that were proud Calgarians, born and raised Calgarians. But you're a second-generation Calgarian. I think it's the first time I have a second-generation Calgarian. So is it mom, dad, both? Yeah, it's my father, actually. And he was born in Calgary in 1937. Wow. And so um, I'm very proud to say that I'm a second-generation Calgarian. And I often get met with quite quite a lot of surprise. <laughs> <laughs> hey, here it is. Yeah. <laughs> and now your daughter is a third-generation Calgarian. That's Correct. that's uh, a record in my show, at least. So, uh, you know, growing in Calgary, born and raised in Calgary, what, what do you remember from Calgary before the 88 Olympics, let's say? Um, I just remember that Calgary was always um, a bustling place. When um, we would go around as a child, obviously, being my father being in the business, we always were going around checking out things. And uh, one of my fondest memories is the is the first summer that Spruce Meadows opened. And um, it was basically uh, an arena with one building and fields. And we parked the car in an open field. And we, ha- we have a funny little joke in our family that... We were. My dad was jumping over the fence and ripped his pants on a on a piece of barbed wire. <laughs> so just Calgary and and Alberta in general is always just a a, a, a very progressive place, and um, things were just going on on all cylinders. But but when we talk before the Olympics yeah. and you talk about Spruce Meadows, yeah. what was the border of the city that I mean, there was like out of city limits? Oh, completely. absolutely! <laughs> it, it, was was like, a, it was like a day trip. Almost. Yeah, I was going to say you packed a lunch. You know, we um, we drove out on um, which is 14th, and um, it it was a journey. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, we've seen massive growth over the last 40 years, and I think. Um, our downtown just grew and grew and grew. And so for me, when I drive around, it's I feel old when I think about the landmarks that were there are just absolutely gone. You know, replaced by beautiful buildings. Right. But the landscape's much different than so, what I remember it. So following the 88 Olympics, when Calgary got into like a growth pattern, mm-hmm. um, what do you see today different than before 88? Let's call it 88 as kind of the border between well, before and after in the big growth? 
Well, it's, it's interesting that you bring 1988 up because that was actually one of the pivotal um, events that actually changed my career. So I started our, at our geo in 1983 and um, came into the company to build the window covering business. And at that time, they called it the drapery business. And um, so when we were getting ready for the Olympics, uh, one of the big facilities was the skating oval. And we were successful to get the window covering award for that building. And that that put our that put our business unit on the map um, to get that order. So it was incredible. And I think that, um, as many have said, that the Olympics really put us on the world stage. And um, since that time, that gave us, that really gave us the momentum to keep growing and, and, and attracting interest. And I think at the time, Alberta was like the little engine that could. I mean, people could see that they came here. We had a can-do, let's-get-it-done attitude. And, um, you know, over the last little while, that's changed. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, working at a drapery, now in the covering. Mm-hmm. Uh, and before that, let's go a little bit back. Um, this is a family business. Mm-hmm. Uh, during your junior high and high school, were you supposed to work here in the, on, on holidays and in summer? Or you could go and do, you know, other works? What was the family's expectation? Um, you know what? We, I, from time to time, um, we were expected to come and help clean. Or, uh, I remember uh, when I was in high school, we did a big job downtown, and it was all chrome and um, mirrors. And so my sister and I had to go down there after they installed everything to clean that. And I, I remember that really vividly. But apart from that... Did you get paid? No. No. <laughs> Oh, no. Are you kidding? <laughs> so um, I have a funny story about that um, when I started at Archeo. But growing up, I always had a job, but it wasn't in the business. I was um, always figuring out how to make money. And um, in my early, when I, before I was even 16, I worked at the Banff Springs as an elevator operator. Oh, wow. And so... Um, That's a profession that yeah, disappeared from yeah, the world. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And then... Um, it shows how old we are. Yes. <laughs> exactly. When I was there a couple of weeks ago, I was looking at the elevators and they're very efficient. Um, but what I wanted to say was that my early um, work um, in the... When I was in university was at the Royal Bank. And really didn't have um, any insight on how that would be such a great experience. And I worked at the Royal Bank for three summers. And it was uh, it really taught me a lot. So that was during university? Correct. But once you graduated university, which university, by I the went, way? I went to University of Alberta. And, and what I, did you, uh, what kind of diploma did you get? I, I did a Bachelor of Science in Home Economics with what? a major in clothing and textiles and a minor in business. Okay, you have to explain <laughs> me. <laughs> so, um, does th- yeah. this faculty still still exist? Uh, it's, it's home economics. Home economics, and so um, home economics was a stream that you could take. You could focus on three different areas, or pick one area. So, food and nutrition, mm-hmm. family studies, or clothing and textiles. So, I, I'm not sure if in Israel they had a, a home ec program, but um, it was a it was a big um, program in El- well in Canada because of the agriculture yeah and it kind of spun off from that and then you know the teachers so a lot of teachers would go through the home extreme 
Um, so you took that just because you knew you were coming to RGO? Or I had no idea I was coming to RGO. Okay. I wanted to be an interior designer. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time, the only the place where you would take um, interior design was um, University of Manitoba or Ryerson in Toronto. Yeah. And um, my dad thought that was too far away to go for school. Oh. And so um, I was an avid um, sewer in when I was a young ch- girl. And so there was a clothing and textiles program. So he said, why don't you go do that first and then come back. And if you still want to be a designer, then you can do that when you're done. And so that's what I did. So when I graduated in 1983, uh, the, the economy was much like it is today. Not very good. In the sheets. Terrible, terrible. <laughs> and so I'd actually applied to um, go into the business management program at the Royal Bank, but they were only hiring BCOMs I at see. the time, even though I'd worked there for three summers. So they had been cutting back. So um, I managed to just kind of hang out over the summer. I golf with my grandpa. I, I, I delayed getting a job as long as possible. <laughs> and um, on August the 15th, I started at RGO. August 15, 1983? Correct. I see. Um, so you get you got notice enough playing golf. You have to get a job, and uh, or you're coming to RGO. Yeah, well, I started. I, my cash flow was not good, and so um, <laughs> I could only mooch around and get my my gas tank filled up for so long. And uh, I actually worked for ten days at the Peter Jackson Golf Tournament just to kind of bridge that. But, I see. Um, there were no funds coming my way if I wasn't going to work. <laughs> and and when you joined uh, RGO in 1983, um, what was your role? Was, you come as the, yeah. the owner's daughter, right? Yes, but um, as you know my dad very well, I, I mean, I, I came in at the most entry level possible. I remember when we were negotiating my salary, um, he was paying, he said, I'll pay you $1,800 a month. I said, I was getting more than that at the Royal Bank. And he said, well, you're not worth anything. You haven't done anything. <laughs> And so there we went. Honesty runs in the family. (laughs) I see. So you start at uh, $1,800 a month in 1983. And you you said you entry level, it's a family business. How do you kind of get your kind of stripes? So when I I started in in what we called the drapery division, there was two individuals that were in sales. And so, and, and they were quite busy. And so I was brought in to be um, basically sales support. And so there wasn't a, mo- a more junior position in the company unless I would have been the receptionist per I se. See. Although, you know, it was just a different stream. And that, um, that division reported to another individual in our company. And so I never reported directly to my father until probably 10 years into my career at RGO. And so I think that was a really good strategy. Um, I had some good mentors. and um, But for the most part, everything that I learned in the window covering business, I learned from um, other people in the industry, not from anybody in RGO, because um, about the third month into my career at RGO, both individuals that were in sales had left. And so I were- They couldn't, I, they couldn't work with the boss's daughter. Yeah, yeah. Well, one, one gal, um, decided to take a career change and move into the into the carpet the flooring world and um, remember these weren't great times mm-hmm. it was tough they were on commission right and then the other gal um, due to personal reasons left the organization and so I remember really distinctly going to my boss at the time and going I don't want you to hire anyone over top of me 
like, I don't want to, I want to see if I can do this. I'm not sure what I was thinking. I, I think the fact that I'd been doing sales support on these, on all the work in progress, I knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. And so um, I don't recommend that way of learning. I've, I've, I've from, you know, once we got our, our division going, I've always um, worked really hard at, um, you know, transferring information and having much more um, rigor and protocol around the way we do business because I don't want people to have to learn how I learned because it was tough. I The first three years were brutal, absolutely brutal because, every, I mean, I, I always say I did everything wrong two or three times. Right. And, and, and you so, mentioned that you had mentors not from RGO and one of my questions I have here is, uh, did you take, did you have any mentors other than your dad? Because your dad is a very strong person, yeah. right? And has an yeah. amazing track yeah. record in building a business. Yeah. You know, I, I wouldn't actually call my dad a great mentor. <laughs> I would call him an excellent sponsor. Mm-hmm. And I differentiate that because my dad's not a teacher kind of an individual. Um, uh, you know, have very high expectations. But... Um, you know, the, the one thing I can say is, you know, when I, w- a few times when I would, I would be totally down and out, uh, you know, he would be there to pick me up, but, but he was a bit of an arm's length. He wasn't kind of, you know, in my, I remember in my early career, I'm a very detailed person. And I mean, that served me well in, in, in that industry because it's very detailed. Um, but it would be, I'd want to go in and give him the background on where I was going and go, I've got, what do you want? I'm busy. Um, you know, and I, and so I learned quickly to get concise, and to really think through what are the what are the key points here that I need to make so I can move on, and um, and uh, and not go, go out of there being demotivated when I went to get kind of some guidance. So you mentioned that you start in the drapery. Uh, you are an assistant for the salespeople. The two of them leave. You go mm-hmm. to your boss and say, "Don't hire anyone. I want to do it." Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned earlier that in '88 you won a big uh, contract, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is the Olympics here. Mm-hmm. So those five years, that gap between mm-hmm. the good and the bad, <laughs> um, how did you kind of manage in those five years? What did you kind of do to make sure that you win the next big one? So one of the things, one of the models of how RGO was built was on um, a very, very strong um, uh, partnership or supply relationship. So Steelcase is um, our largest um, supplier in our furniture. And the way that they set up the, their, their distribution is through private um, individuals or through what they call a dealer principal. And we had that product exclusively in Calgary. And so knowing the furniture model, that's how we tried to build our window covering. Mm-hmm. So early on, we made an alliance. I got connected with a, a fellow named Fritz Nice. And um, he had a company that he, he'd come from, from Europe. And um, he was building a shading company. And we became, he taught me a ton. And um, it, I, I, would, I would say that he was my biggest um, Mentor. Uh, mentor and advocate in my early career. And, and, and that continued on because we ended up investing in his business. And um, and he, we, we were inseparable during the day. He, he was the manufacturer and he, he knew how to build things and I could sell them and I could get into the clients. And so I always say we got the sk- skating oval on a, on a photo album with um, pictures. I, I, t- to this day, I look back on that and I go, I am absolutely amazed that the architect 
um, would you know stand behind us and and um, choose you and choose us. But that was where Dad was invaluable, and in that he had the connections. And so I think that got me to the the table much quicker. Mm-hmm, I see. But you had to still had to win it. We had to win it, and uh, we had to make a lot of commitments to make sure that we could perform. And um, so, so, so how do you feel when you make a commitment and you know you, you know you have a deadline and you have to perform and you don't know whether you'll make it or not? You know, I I've always thought you know I, I love I don't have a problem making a commitment. I mean, I'm a one of my my great strengths is I'm an overly responsible person. So <laughs> that that's a strength and a weakness. But mostly in business, it's a very good thing. I mean, we had to make a commitment that we would be here during the Olympics and we would have um, they would have twenty four seven service if they needed it because you know when they're when you're filming things and and it's such a it's it's a big deal. Um, you know, all systems need to be go. So 88, you win the yeah, beat. We, we win the, t- and that, that really gets us on the, on the, on the, on the, on the stage and on the map of, okay, they can do this. We can, and I was in there actually yesterday to, to, um, to be participate in the installation of Ed McCauley for the new president of the University of Calgary. And it was cool to sit in that building and see all, everything's still the way it is. And we've been servicing that work. So, um, it, it's very exciting. I, I bet. So, Olympic is done. Uh, are you still at the drapery or you start moving up the chain? You know what? I, I was I stayed in window coverings for for 30, 30 almost 32 years. And that was my baby. We built that up. We kept building that that was an you know a pivotal um, project. And from there on, we just went out in the market and and there isn't there aren't too many buildings in Calgary that don't have window coverings that we provided. So our goal was to build, my goal was to um, do the base building standards for um, all of the buildings in Calgary. Mm-hmm. And you know very met many of the institutions, the hospitals, and that that was a what I call as a dividend business. So you you get standardized. Um, I would act on behalf of the landlords so that, you know, if you had a building, David, and, and you'd standardize it on our products, and then over time your tenants are going to churn through and maybe they need to change something, I would go and I would never jeopardize the standards. So um, I have many clients that would call me and say, you know what, what do you think we should do? Or they'd just say, phone Kathy, she'll take care of you. And I would always steer them if they'd say, you know, I want to put these bright pink blinds here. You know, I would just say, really, you know, well, we, you know, we have standards and, um, you know, we need to work through that. So I would be an advocate for the landlord. And so that's really done us in good stead, you know, not to mount things in the wrong place, yeah. to put the right things in. So when you, you said 30 years, you yeah. were building or working mm-hmm. at a drapery, mm-hmm. when you kind of moved to the next stage, how big was the drapery in terms of how many people, because you mentioned yeah. two, there were two there when you joined Yes. Oh, wow. Um, so what did so, you build? What did you build? So I think what we built was the largest window covering um, business in Canada. And um, it's both residential and commercial. It's much stronger commercially. We would do the residential. I would do that work at night. Right. Because there would be people that go, oh, can you help me? And so that was a bit more creative. And I love that. But 
a few years into that, it got so I, I was sort of burning the candle at both ends. So we built a division to just do residential. So today we have um, four people in, in our residential window coverings. And as you would appreciate, David, there's a lot of crossover between products. And so at times, you know, residential glass, your residential had a really good year. Um, so it kind of goes up and down. It would be um, probably a tenth of our overall revenues in our window covering division. Um, today we have uh, about 18 people in window coverings, and then we have a whole team of um, of subcontractors. Mm-hmm. And so it's quite a quite an entity. So when was that moment that Ross Glenn said, "Okay, she can do it. She can, we should move." Kathy from just windows to kind of the bigger picture. Well, um, I, I know it, it's a family business, yeah. and you I you know, in a family business, it's I think one of the things, um, rightly or wrongly, is in our we we haven't always been so intentional around my development. Um, I mean, are you sure? If I ask Ross, if he wasn't intentional, um, well, he was intentional in the big picture. But you have to remember, I, I stayed in window coverings until, for you know, the bulk of my career, that was giving I would say eighty percent of my time until twenty sixteen. And so um, I moved around a little bit throughout the organization. In nineteen ninety one, I I worked on on a committee and and on a um, some internal process work with Steelcase as part of RGO group of companies. But I always kind of stayed in window coverings. That was kind of my base. And um, so I think in this day and age, you know, our niece has jo- just joined. And we'll be much more intentional about her career path than they than I was with mine. And I, I mean, I think I was quite comfortable to stay there because it was my world mm-hmm. as opposed to other parts of our business. Um, I mean, I had complete autonomy to do whatever I wanted in window coverings as long as the numbers were there. And you can be assured that, you know, those m- numbers were always being tracked. Yes. And, and now that Eunice has joined, uh, she also started at the bottom, like you? Um, yes. Uh, she started in marketing, actually. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's inter- it's been interesting to watch, um, you know, the, the relationship um, as she's come into the business as opposed to when I came into the business. It's It's quite interesting. What do you mean? Well, you know, Grandpa's a lot more mellow with Cassandra than she than he was with me, and um, you know that's that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. I think that's a grandfather thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. But but you are not mellow with her. I try not to be because I don't think it's in her best interest, and I think I'm really proud of her that she's been able to navigate even in three years um, to build quite strong relationships with her peers mm-hmm. and in the marketplace, and she. Let's go back to you. So, until 2016, you said you were the uh, window covering, and then 2016, you became the CEO and president? Yeah. In 2016, that was the year of our 50th anniversary, and we'd always talked for quite a while that we would make the transition for me to be president. My dad went into a chairman role, and so we did that in November, the end of November of 2016. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know... As you said, you are almost sheltered in your kind of mm-hmm. own world, in your blue ocean of uh, window covering. What did you feel when, when you made the transition? Now you're responsible for more employees, the mm-hmm. big organization, uh, different departments that you don't didn't work on mm-hmm. a regular basis. Mm-hmm. How, how was that transition? Well, it was absolutely daunting, um, but we knew that it had to happen. Um, 
I think that we, um, I had been working in, in that capacity for, you know, in the background for quite a while. And so I think that just um, it was time to formalize that to the market. Um, lots of people were kind of seeing what was going on and kind of ex- it wasn't a surprise to anyone. But I think it was just a time where we put the stake in the ground and said, this is the plan. And I felt I felt a very strong commitment to our people that they could see that we were continuing on. Even though we weren't saying that, we were giving all the signs for that. Um, at some point, people will go, well, are you going to sell, Ross? What are you going to do? And and um, I think it's hard for, you know, we all know it's very, very difficult for founders to step back. Right. And um, and that that's that's a changing of time. And so, it's coming to terms with your own mortality. So uh, it's now uh, almost, it's two and a half years, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And uh, did the uh, founder owner step uh, back? Yeah, in many, many ways. Um, he has been incredibly supportive. Um at times, I think it's been difficult because um, we've had to learn to communicate in a new way. Um, you know, I've had to be, you know, and, and that's been a bit of a bit of a trial and error where, you know, how much information is too much, how much is not, you know, when is not it not enough? enough? Yeah. You know, what's what's the, the push and the pull? And um, I think the fact that um, I have a tremendous amount of respect and um, knowing that you know, there's going to be some challenges. For me, if I know what I can expect, you know, you're not sure how it's going to go exactly, but I don't, I don't expect it to go perfectly. And so knowing the different types of personalities and trying to get behind um, some of the conversation and some of the dialogue has mm-hmm. been helpful. But it's, it, I think it's taken patience on both sides. How did the balance of the employees, would the employees accept your leadership replacing Ross two and a half years ago? Um, I think on balance, they've been incredibly supportive. Uh, they, I mean, it, it's in their best interest for RGO to continue to thrive. And um, good or bad, I, many have said that um, I'm just a softer version of him. <laughs> and so, you know, that that's not a surprise. And I think the fact that I've been working in the business and I show up and I care and, um, you know, many of the many of the values, I would say, you know, I'm continuing the legacy. I mean, the, the business principles on what, how we've operated RGO have not changed. Mm-hmm. You know, the way that we reinvest in our business, our commitment to the community, you know, those those values are strong. And it's not that I've taken that and changed it. As I said, I when I stepped into this role, I made some commitments and some of them are kind of funny jokes of, of things with, you know with my dad one of them as I said I, you know I made a commitment on four things you know I promise not to screw it up I promise not to spend more money than than we made I promise to stay connected to the clients and I promised him that I, I would never dr- start drinking beer <laughs> so those were kind of I mean you know trying to keep it light but on the, on the same um, vein you know and, and that will continue to reinvest in our business. Well, Kathy, we have to take a short pause and uh, go on commercial break. As you know, uh, radio also needs uh, to uh, sell some commercials. You can learn more about RGO products uh, if you open a new tab and you check www.rgo.ca and you can follow RGO on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. We'll meet you here on the other side of the commercials. (laughs) 
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's D-I-V-I Wallach at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. We're back with my guest, Kathy Orr, President and CEO of uh, RGO Products. By the way, what does RGO stand for? Ross Glenn Office? Uh, no, um, it, when my dad started RGO, we had a partner named Gordon Oliver. And so it was Ross Glenn, Gordon Oliver. <laughs> I see. Uh, so I had some of it right, the Ross Glenn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, we had breakfast and we were shooting the breeze about a month and a half ago. And he said something that stuck with me. He said, I hate it when Ross is right and he's always right. (laughs) (laughs) So how does it work? (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, he has an incredible insight. And um, he's always had uh, um, a great gut. And, you know, as he wasn't formally educated, it's it's incredible how, um, you know, he's, he would be, he's, Bar none, he would be the most street smart person. Street smart person I know. He just seems to be able to um, have an intuition about things. Um, the other thing that's very interesting about my dad is he's incredibly curious. And I've been thinking about this as um, times progressed. That um, people that are curious are very very engaged in the world around them. And and so he does, there isn't much he misses. And I think often people will think that he's not getting it, you know, or he may not be cluing into certain things. Mm-hmm. He is very in tune. So, 
how do you make decisions now that you are at the top of the helm and you have to make decisions? You mentioned your dad's gut mm-hmm. and you said that he's, mm-hmm. you know, he's a street smart. Yeah. Now, it, uh, the, the onus is on you now to make decisions. Right. So right. what is your decision making process? Is, is, is it your gut? Is it you have to get all the information, you know, in front of you with charts and, and, and spreadsheets? You know, it's, it's a really good question because I've been thinking about that a lot. And I think that um, there's a few things when you go through the process. I mean, we all want information, especially in this day and age. I think, um, you know, there's a lot of conversation about data and analytics, and, and there's so much information out there. Um, I feel like even in our geo, we have a lot of um, data and analytics around our client and our, and our cycles and our financial reporting. And, um, I mean, that's, that's critical. That, that's a table stakes. But I think... Um, you know, to really thrive in business, you have to have a mix of really good financial reporting, good analytics, um, a good healthy sense of logic, and um, and and common sense. And I think, um, you know, we're in our businesses, we are really um, dependent on our our people per se because it's a very belly to belly business. Even though we talk, we're you know we're doing lots of other things. And so I think it's just that, you know, staying, staying grounded, um, not, not getting, not getting um, you know, really, really looking at what's happening. And I think, um, you know, trying to stay in reality. So making decisions by, you know, looking at the data, looking at what's going on in the market, um, watching behavior. It, it's just, it's like a, it's a combination. It's not one thing in isolation. Mm-hmm. And where does gut gut gets into it? Gut is huge, but all of those things feed to the gut. And so, um, one of the things that I've learned in the last two and a half years, my gut's always been very strong as well. And um, sometimes, over time, as as you keep growing and developing as a leader, um, sometimes you want to go, you know, I'm going to trust the data, or I'm going to trust one other piece more than I'm going to trust my gut. And um, although it hasn't been catastrophic. Um, there's been a few times when I've had to bring myself back and go, okay, got all that. Now I'm going to go back to what my gut tells me. Sometimes that's not popular because it's really hard to validate that at times. You know, how do you say to a leadership team, you know, I just don't have a good gut about this. Yeah. So, you know, then that, that, where that, what that starts to build is trust. So one of the things that I say around RGO, around our leadership team, or, you know, my husband works here as well and he leads our core business. Um, Sometimes dad will throw out, you know, a comment or a concern and, um, and I may not like the delivery, <laughs> but, um, over the years I've, we both come to appreciate the fact that if he, if he's asking some questions, there's usually something behind that. And so to be just exploring that and probing and going, okay, to, like help me understand what you're trying to, what you're thinking and what you're concerned about. And I think that that is always something, you know, even at, you know, we do that internally, but we, we need to do that with our customers too, because a lot we get a lot of information. It's just if we choose to, to work off our own agenda or work off the agenda of, of what someone's maybe trying to share with us. Um, when uh, I prepared for the show and I was uh, doing my research, uh, what caught my eye is when I went on your website and I looked at the mission and... I've been doing this for over two years, so I interviewed many companies. And what caught my eye on your mission is that the first three points 
all have to be, they're all internal. They're all about your employees. Customers is point number four. That That's interesting for me. What's the, what's behind it? Well, it's interesting. That's a big journey that I've been on in the last few years. And um, we did a, a SWOT analysis three years ago. And we categorized um, all of the things that we wanted to work through into five buckets. Customer experience, employee engagement, growth and profitability, health and safety, and culture. And so um, I've always felt that as an organization, we had a very strong value proposition. In all of our divisions, we we represent best-in-class products. And so um, we, we... we have, and then we can go up or down from there based on what clients need. And so we had a really good product offering. One of the things as the market's gotten more difficult in Calgary and Alberta is that I felt that sometimes we didn't have the soft skills. You know, we, we've been riding this wave in Alberta where, you know, everything. everything it was, I mean, I mean, this is dramatic, but people would say, you know, it seemed like it was just any, anything you touched turned to gold. Well, you know, when things started to change here, we needed way more creativity. We needed we needed people to really um, understand what they were doing and, and understand their skill sets. And so the last couple of years, we've spent a lot of time on culture. And I'll tell you, I, I really feel strongly that, you know, if we're going to have, if we're going to be best in class in our marketplace, we need to have the best people. And so, you know, we've really worked on the culture to create a culture of um um, our core, our core goal, our values are trust, passion, competency, and efficiency. And we've defined what those what those words mean for us as an organization. And I say to the t- to our organization, you know, I'm an amiable driver, so I actually do want things to go smooth, and I, I love people. So I next to the sales process, I love watching people grow, and it's my passion that people's lives are better after they've left RGO. Than when they got here doesn't mean perfect, um, and sometimes people need to move on for a multitude of reasons. But right. I trust that their lives are better having been through this organization. So the goal is, um, you know, if we want to have a, 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 a an amazing customer experience, we need to support our people. And so if our people are happy and um, motivated and um, understand what they what they're here to do they're going to do a much better job with the customer so that's you know I think those things go hand in hand Um, I mean ultimately we're not anything without the customer and we can never forget that Um, but our our, we I mean I I, sometimes it's daunting to me that I am um, I am delegating the face of my brand to you know two or three hundred people in a day and, and, and our brand and who we are is, is paramount to me. There's, I mean, there's a few things that get me uptight, but one thing that will get me, um, get my attention really quickly is if I think our brand is in jeopardy. And I think you know me well enough that, um, you know, that, that's been part of our value proposition. And clients know that. If they, if they want to be, um, if, they're, if they're entering into transaction with us, we're engaged in our business I mean, you would pick up the phone in a heartbeat, and I would want you to, if you if if you needed something you weren't getting. So, to summarize, your clients as the CEO are your, are the people who work here. That's how you see it. Yeah, they're they're part of the equation. Absolutely, they're your clients. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. There, I, I am. I, I, I like the term servant leadership because I'm here to remove barriers, and build the brand, and um, and be the face of of what we can do. Servant leadership. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to election next week. Mm-hmm. Can you share this with some <laughs> of the people that are putting themselves to be reelected or elected? Mm-hmm. Maybe they should kind of get this. Um, I understand the importance of mission, vision, purpose that an organization has. I've seen many companies that really have nice mission, vision, purpose uh, posters on the wall. How do you take what you just described from the wall and bring it to the office and bring it and and, and engrave it into the people and and let them feel that it's, Mm -hmm. those are not just, you know, wall posters that have all those nice Mm -hmm. well i I think that um you know they say culture is um how you treat your customers how you treat your people how you treat your people or your employees and how you spend your resource and i think that um you know it's a long game david like you don't you you put you put these things out there and then their lenses or filters through which you run your business so I actually asked one of um, uh, one of I, I hate to call them employees in a way it sounds so colleagues yeah disconnected so one of my colleagues um, I asked her yesterday I said do you think we're living our values mm. because I ask that question a lot and uh, I'll tell you it's the the uh, efficiency competency and passion are are pretty easy on in relative terms to live. I mean, you know, I'm a pretty passionate person. I don't do much halfway. I'm either in or I'm not. Yeah. And um, I think that's our culture here. Um, trust is more difficult. Trust is deep and there's lots of layers. And so one of the things that we said that we would do um, is that we were going to use that lens. We're going to hire to it and we're going to move people along to it. And so when I think of the last two and a half years, you know, we've been working really hard. I mean, you, can, you can't say, okay, this is going to be our culture and then we're going to just do it. You need to walk the talk. And so, you know, there's been some things, some really positive things that we've done to, um, that are not, they're not, po- they're things that we've done that show people they're serious about this. Mm-hmm. And um, conversely, that works on both ends. And so one of the things, you know, that we never like to talk about in business, but when things are not working with, with a colleague and it's time to move on, we're, we're dealing with that much quicker. In a family business, sometimes there's a tendency to kind of, um, you know, just keep care of people. And I don't think that's in anybody's best interest. I think it's important for people to have goals and be accountable. And as a leadership team, we need to do the same thing back because, you know, as the market's gone up and down in the last few years, um, as much as, you know, we, we want to be, you know, this this great place where people love to come every day, we do need to make money. Yeah. And if we're not profitable, um, you know, we, we won't survive. And and secondly, um, there's no point, it's it's not motivating to have people here that are not they're not they're not doing their piece. And so, you know, for lots of reasons, sometimes people have to move on. And we've worked really hard to keep the model where, you know, it's good, it's strong on the inside and it's not diluted out. You mentioned earlier that uh, about three years ago, two and a half years ago, you did a SWOT analysis. Mm -hmm. um, And you also mentioned in your answers more than once that Alberta 
in Calgary are going through uh, tough economic mm -hmm. times. Uh, we're in the fifth year of a recession. It started uh, end of uh, 14 and we're now in 19. Did it have to do with one another that you decided to do the SWOT analysis in the mid of a recession, in the midst of a recession? Not at all. We had a leadership change. Um, in uh, At the uh, end of 2014, um, we were fortunate enough to have um, Jonathan Giebert join our organization, and he's our CFO. And he, he was um, interested in all parts of our business, and that was a way for him to get, I mean, it was time to do it. But it was really, um, he was the catalyst to say, let me, let's get in and do this so I can really understand all these different businesses. I see. And, um, you know, going back to the recession, um, it, it is tough for business, especially when you have about, about 250 colleagues here. Mm -hmm. um, how does a company, a local company, deals, competes, uh, survives a recession like we are in the, we're not out yet? Well, um, you know, did getting, you take any special measurement measures kind of to go through that period? Well, I mean, I, I always think there's a balance there. I mean, you know, you can say you take measures, but I mean, a lot of it gets dictated by the marketplace. So I think one of the things is we've we've been on a strong foundation, and I think that's really carried us through. We've, um, you know, we have no debt, which was a massive strategy from my father. I mean, he, he has, um, you know, admirably over the last many years, even in the times when things were amazing, he was always reinvesting the, in the business. And so that really set us up to weather this economic challenge. Um, we are very diverse. And so that's helped us. There were parts of our business that were still firing well into this recession. And we had, we had work in progress that carried us through a lot of that. And, um, so just always staying focused on, on what we needed to do. Um, you know, there were some transitions that we did with our employee base where, you know, as you would expect in our business, we had a lot of long-term employees that were getting ready for retirement. Mm -hmm. And so we helped transition some of them on that timing. And we've always had very um, strong financial rigor. So we, we, we look at that and, and monitor that closely and then make decisions according to that. I mean, one of the things we haven't been known for is high, like, you know, this kind of boom and bust that you see in the oil patch where, you know, you, you, you're, there's a cycle of um, hiring and laying off. Yeah. And, and I would say that, you know, when the times were amazing here, it was really hard to find people because we couldn't compete. But one thing we could give them is a stable job. And I think there's been much more appreciation for that. Um, we definitely weren't the highest um, or, you know, weren't, weren't the employer that was paying the most. But through that, you know, there's been an appreciation for what we could offer. Going back to the family. Mm -hmm. So when you leave here and go home, Argio stays here or Argio comes to the dinner table? Uh, we have a daughter. And uh, she's 21. And I would say that we've done a fairly good job of managing that because when she graduates, she'd like to come and work here. And that was one of my goals because when I was growing up, I knew a lot of people and even in the last many years that didn't want to go into the family business because there was just, it was just totally on. Um, I would be lying if I told you that, you know, there's no shop talk at home. But between Dave and I, we've done a fairly good job of shutting that down in the evenings. And, and when, uh, when uh, Ross is now, at the table? Now, when Dad's at the table, that's a little different story. 
Um, you know, we, we uh, as a family, we um, traditionally spent a lot of time away at Christmas. And my sister, uh, who hasn't been involved in the business in a day-to-day basis, you know, and her family, her, her, it's her daughter that works with us. Um, we, we joke and go, okay, no more shop talk. I mean, dad's shop talk all, all the time. So we just, we just uh, work <laughs> through that. Um, you know, it's, uh, we, we talked about the, uh, we talked about the uh, recession, but other than the recession, uh, we had four years that, uh, you know, we got carbon tax, increasing minimum wage, increasing corporate tax, increasing personal tax. How does a local entrepreneur, like, again, survive with all those changes and, and that impact the business immediately? Wow. Um, you know, it's just... I'm not going to yeah. ask you what you're going to vote because there's uh, <laughs> it's behind the curtain. I think, right? I think you know what I'm going to vote. So um, I think realistically, um, it's just one. I, I mentioned a few minutes ago that, um, you know, we had a strong balance sheet and that um, we didn't have any debt. We've worked really hard to keep that, to have some fiscal agility. And I think when you have an organization as a business, you know, I will take that to the end of my career where, you know, we're not living, we're not living at the edge. On, on where we can be so you just can't it, you just you don't have enough maneuverability so you know what are the things that we do to keep us agile um, you know keep reinvesting in our business when we can you know you know try to make the hard um, um, decisions you asked earlier about you know how we're making decisions and how what that looks like I mean it's not easy a lot of time you're, you're making really hard um, decisions that you know, even in your gut, you know they're right, but it doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was in a situation in the last week where I know it's the right thing to do on every on every level. You know, from the data, from the logic, from the gut, but it's still really, really hard. And I think that's the part, that's the soft part that it takes the courage to make the change, and then and then stand up and and own it. And so. All those things that we've been facing, you know, you know, the 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 taxes is the thing that I've been very concerned about the 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 municipal taxes because we have a lot of real estate, and that's one thing I can't change that lever. What can I do? I'm at the other end of it. I mean, a lot of things in our business we can change. We can pull some levers. We can adapt. We can we can move some things around. Um, you know, when we get our tax notice, I, I'm not sure, apart, apart from maybe going to some um, arbitrary committee and, you know, speaking my piece, I mean, let's be honest, how much, you know, how much of a voice am I going to have there? So, again, you know, then you've got to build in um, some capacity to weather that. And I think big, I think strong organizations do that. You have to be thinking ahead all the time. Like, I, you know, I'm spending my time looking out, a, you know, two or three years. That's my job. So, <laughs> you kind of led me to my next question, okay. which is, let's go to the future. Mm-hmm. We're now 2029, mm. and Kathy has run the company now for 13 years. It's bar mitzvah year. <laughs> Where do you see RGO in, in a decade from now? Um, I, I think that we will continue to be... Um, you know, participating in the marketplace in, in an even stronger way than we are today. I think the future is much more integration. 
one thing we haven't spoken about is um, the channel that I work strongly in, in in window coverings. And so we have basically four core businesses here and, and two of them work through one channel and then two others work through a slightly different channel. And when I say that, so window coverings and flooring work a lot through the general contracting channel. And so I see us getting more and more involved in that that integration partnering um, because people are want um, clients wanting things quicker, faster, more efficient. And the only way to do that is get to, to be partnering. So, you know, we, we I see that we'll be doing much more integration. We'll be in projects way earlier. Um, we'll be at the table being a, being a voice, not like, oh, by the way, we built out the space. Now we need furniture. Nice. It's not going to be like that. It's like, no, you know what? We're going to we're going to build a space and we want you at the table now. And I think that's going to require a different mindset and, and, a, and, a, and a stronger skill set. Kathy, we are just uh, three minutes from the end of the show. So I have a few short questions. What keeps you awake at night? Uh, lately, um, the economy keeps me awake at night. I see. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing we can do about it. Do you know that? Right, I do. <laughs> um, which, from your experience, and I know it's two and a half years, uh, but you've been here for many years. If you had today to mentor someone getting into a CEO, what is their first or first two things that you'll recommend to do in order to be successful? Go behave, do or behave. Um, I think that... Um, Nothing's done in isolation. So I think that, um, you know, you know, becoming very self-aware of yourself and what your skill sets are and then and then and then reaching out and building with people um, that can help you be your best. None of us are good at everything. And so I think that self-awareness and, um, you know, and and um, building out your team is critical. And then I also think that um, you need to have some financial acumen. And however you, you build that literacy is, is critical. I don't think any business, I think that's a, that's a good, you don't have to be a CFO or a CA, but you need to understand how that impacts your business. And I think that um, you need to listen more than you talk. I mean, being a humble, trying to, I, I, I'm really working hard on trying to, you know, um, do that, you know, be humble and be a servant leader because I think, as I said, everything's done in, in a combined effort. It's a complex world that we're living in. And um, when something goes wrong, it's usually not one thing. It's, it's a series of things. What have you learned about yourself during this journey? Oh, and wow. I, and I knew you'll be kind of surprised with this question. I've learned a lot about myself. Um, you have 30 yeah. seconds to yeah. summarize so, what you've learned yeah, about Yeah, what yourself. I've learned about myself. I mean, you know, I... It's a long journey that you it's, went through. It's, it's a long journey. I think that, um, you know, sometimes I, I, I've i learned that I can't do everything on my own. I've learned that there's um, there's just so many gifts out there. It's not totally about making money. Um, of course, we need to be successful and profitable, like I said, to, 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 to be sustainable. But it's it's about the the whole person, and so I what you know I want to be successful deep down. I'm extremely competitive, but I want to do it in a way that's um, you know it's good for everyone. And maybe that's maybe that's idealistic. But 
Katty, we reached uh, the end of today's episode of Taking Care of Business. Thank you, Katty Ork, President and CEO of RGO Products, for being my guest this morning, sharing with us your road to becoming the President and the CEO of a family business, and we wish you and RGO continued success. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, your feedback is important for us. Please email me at dvwallach at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, like me on Facebook, and connect with me on LinkedIn. Thank you, Aaron, my dedicated weekly engineer, and Sasha, my assistant executive producer. Next Tuesday, April 16th, my guest will be Dr. Mary Roseanne. We will discuss the pain of being a chiropractor. I'll meet you here on, at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific, your host, David Wallach. Thank you for listening to Taking Care of Business. Please join David Wallach again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until we talk again, make your week as great as you want it.